Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of all time, plus all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. All right, we're back. Another edition of Movie Moments. I'm Mike Rags with our good buddy, Chuck Curry. You're listening to us live on uh, Podcast Plus and, of course, wherever you're downloading and listening to your this great podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever, just make sure you're subscribing so you get every new episode that we do. And of course, uh, our WoWo listeners are always there as well as you listen live on your radio. Uh, big movie comes out this weekend in theaters, uh, The Killers of the Flower Moon, another Martin Scorsese's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio team up and Robert De Niro for that matter as well. Uh, we'll talk about that film in just a bit. And we're going to go through Martin Scorsese's career and discuss his uh, Mount Rushmore of films and all the films in between from uh, Mean Streets all the way to the one that just came out this Friday. Chuck, let's uh, bring in right now. All right. So we talk about the Leo movie coming out. Uh, we also need to bring up Taylor Swift again as well. I don't anticipate this three hour movie to uh, put a notch in the Eras tour movie, but uh, will it get some spillover much like Oppenheimer did and get some money at the box office? Uh, how you doing, Mike? First of all, uh, pleasure to be on. Um, it's been it's tracking uh, at its 20 to 25 million dollar opening weekend, which for three and a half hour feature film, which is a very long sit, that would be uh, definitely a very solid opening weekend. You know, I did read this is this movie has been produced by Apple Money and after it premieres here in theaters, I think it's going to play at least at least a month in theaters and then wind up on Apple TV backed by Apple money, $200 million budget, Mike, that is a, uh, a whopper of a budget. And it appears that Scorsese who we'll talk about toward the end of the show. I think it's safe to say we both agree. He's one of, if not the greatest filmmaker of all time now, 80 years old, but he likes the money, give him the money and he'll use it in the production. It's not like he's trying to produce movies, you know, for 30 million and under you give him $200 no, million. No, he's going to yeah. use every penny of it. And he's been active. He's never really stopped making movies. Uh, he's always been churning out movie after movie, even up in his, his 70s and now 80 years old. And quite good movies, too, along the way. Yes. What, what about ask, Taylor? What's, ask, ta what's Taylor bringing let me in ask this you week? Real quick about Scorsese. He's 80 years old, right? Does it yeah. bother you? Does it bother you when he makes statements about the state of cinema and the way he sees it? And he gives his opinion, which uh, I agree with. Uh, a decent amount of what he says about where we are in the genre and superhero movies that he gets so much backlash on social media, I guess, from people who are much younger and don't realize who Martin Scorsese really right. is. Now that no. he's 80 years old, I mean, ageism, do you think that plays into this? I, I have to believe that it does to an extent. And that's uh, that's pretty disappointing from, from my he, point of view. He has forgotten more about movie making than most of the people that criticize him. Are oh, 100%. So, so I, it's hard for me to take any of those people seriously. Yes, I, I take everything he says with a tremendous amount of merit. He can say whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I was I was thinking about this, too, before uh, the show. The Mount Rushmore of, um, of directors of all time, right? Mm. It, to me, three yeah. are easy. Him, Spielberg, and Cameron are like three that just popped off the top of my head. I would agree. The fourth one, I, I just I'm I, 
is it a tie for fourth for everyone else? I mean, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I it think, would be I because think I think Fincher, you could throw. I think you could. I think you could throw so many different. Listen, Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Right? Yeah. I, to me, Fincher and Nolan popped in my head, but might be recency bias, and I'm not. But it's an interesting I mean, Barry conversation. Le- listen, Barry Levinson produced has directed a ton of good movies, right? Yeah. Mike yeah. Nichols. You know, I mean, I don't know how you stand with, with Woody Allen. I, I would say Woody Allen would be outside that list for me, simply because he's a very acquired taste type of of a filmmaker. But uh, I mean, William Freakin would have to be. I mean, the stuff he's done, uh, he's done some really good, you know, uh, iconic. Well, there's so many different good directors. I mean, I know you don't agree with Tim Burton, but he has left his mark on this generational filmmaking. He's, he's sure had some, some really good ones. Yeah. Some people might say Eastwood as well, right? I mean, yeah, he, how you think you have to throw Eastwood in there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting conversation to have, but the three popped in my head right away. I would away. agree with those three. I would yeah, agree with those. That's the three I would put there. Yes. Um, we'll get more on Scorsese, but I get back to my Taylor question sure. here because a good mm-hmm. discussion on how she gave back to the theaters, but also what's, what's she, what's she projecting for set week number two? I think it's going to produce well last week and opening weekend did 96 million here domestically. I think worldwide total did like 120, 126. I'm going to tell you the backstory on this in a, in a second, this week in it's tracking at over 30 million, obviously was going to have that drop off. Here's the thing. Chris Nolan came out in a statement and he said he admires tremendously what Taylor Swift has done here. And if you do the breakdown of his statement, what he was saying is what I think could be and he thinks could be a game changer. The way this movie was distributed, they discounted. They they didn't use the studio as a middleman. Her and her, her reps went to AMC theaters and they said, hey, we got this concert film. We like to sign a direct deal, cut out the studio. She cut a deal. We know the ticket price is is high. It's almost nineteen dollars for an adult. She took fifty seven percent of the of this of the ticket sale. Uh, the movie did a hundred and something million dollars opening weekend, meaning she's already in three days. Mike, she netted like fifty five million dollars in her pocket. Wasn't a ton of advertising. I think the advertising mostly was uh, reserved for Instagram. Uh, I mean, obviously, she just makes a public statement and it's free advertising. As you stated a couple of weeks ago, the NFL gave them a free spot because she's given them so much publicity sitting in the press box. So there really was not a lot of heavy lifting. The production cost to produce this concert film, which was shot in three days in Los Angeles, was $15 million. So <laughs> if this winds up doing uh, even $150 million, probably do close to 200 probably going to do right around $200 million. 57% of $200 million minus $15 million production cost and maybe maybe 5 to $10 million in advertising, if that. Uh, this is an unbelievably profitable enterprise. It was some naysayers who tried to take shots. Oh, it didn't make $100 million domestically. Boo-hoo is the most uh, highest-grossing concert film of all time. Uh, this is a, a tremendous uh, a, a tremendous venture. Uh, in terms of profitability, as I stated last week, A plus cinema score. Theaters are happy. She's happy. And here's another stat just before you interject here. I was watching a, a YouTube video of a writer and an industry a guy who talked about how he says that the studios are going to regret this strike for a long, long time to come. Yeah. And that in the 1940s, I didn't know this, United Artists was formed in the 1940s by artists who wanted to uh, produce quality projects and have a more direct line 
with theaters, right? Uh, it wasn't formed as a quote unquote uh, normal studio. So I think the the story here that will unfold is there's going to be other entities and probably a consortium of talent that will pool their money, produce products, whether it's feature films or concert films that can play in theaters and tell Warner Brothers, Universal, Paramount, we don't need you. We're going to do a direct deal with the studio and that will become a massive win-win. And let's be honest, the theaters, probably a light went off in their head here and said, you know what, studios, you really screwed us pretty hard during COVID. We'll cut these deals all day long. Thoughts you on that? Believe it. Yeah, you better believe they will. They'll, they'll look out for number one now. And uh, I think it's a tremendous thing that she did for the theaters. I agree. Uh, uh, for the industry. And I, I and I said this to you um, in a text message. Academy Awards, think very, very, very clearly now. If there are rules that a documentary cannot win Best Picture, you change those rules now. You nominate this film. You get her to sing at the awards. You get your highest ratings since the 1970s. I This has to be done. If they ever want to revive the Oscars, this picture has to be nominated Best Picture. No, I mean, it, not Best Documentary, none of that crap. You got to make sure Taylor Swift is sitting front and center and she sings a song and you my friend will have the highest rated show for 2024. Not a doubt in my mind. So do what you got to do to make it happen. You change the rules all the time. Make sure this happens. You would 100% agree with me, correct? I would. And then think about this. Just say the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl and Travis is sitting next to her. How's and that, it's right around the same time, too. I know. You know what? Have them yeah. co-host the show. I don't care. Oh, boy. You, oh, boy. Just make it happen. She needs to be there and she yeah. needs to sing. Um, but an interesting it'll be an interesting to see if, if she would do that, uh, um, actually, uh, and sing at the Academy Awards. So um, she continues to roll next week. You got your Halloween weekend. You'll have Five Nights of Freddy. Um, and, and, and we'll see what happens there, which you know, also I, gets I'm going to tell you a story about Five Nights Peacock. of Freddy. Yeah, tracking tracking is really good. Oh, it's you. tracking at a forty million dollar opening weekend, even though it's day to day with Peacock. Now, here's the th- here's the thing again. That's to, a good to, sign for theaters, by the way. It, People want to go out good. on Halloween and get scared. They want to go out. Yeah. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Now, again, this is universal, right? It feels to me like this is my this has been my pet peeve, which you know and which the audience knows all through COVID. It feels like a form of bullying. Like, okay, the studios are like, hey, we control the product. You, you'll you grovel theater owners for our product, Five Nights at Freddy's. So we're going we're gonna to give it to you in theaters, but, but we're also going to get ultra greedy, eat our, have our cake, eat it too, and put it on Peacock. It just feels like – I just wonder if there's any real conversation between the studios and and the and the the theater chains, the big ones, Cinema, AMC, Regal, like don't they had? Is there any open dialogue or conversation where somebody from the theater side saying, saying, you know what, this ain't cool, man. It's just not cool. Why are you doing think, this? I don't think they're on the same side anymore. That's the sad part. That's really what happened here. Um, and and you're probably right. They're probably not having those conversations. Uh, but it it needs it needs to be done. Uh, cause I need my stock to go back up, Chuck, really mostly more than anything else. Um, but that's a good sign. Five nights of Freddy's going to try. I'm telling you people, I mean, that's a tradition. You go to the movies, they get scared on Halloween. In fact, 
the lack of scary movies that are in theaters right now. I mean, no, nobody's even remembered Saw Six or Exorcist Believer. Nobody's going back to see those. But it will get a bump, I would assume, this weekend along with this horror movie in and now, of speaking itself. of horror, I just want to bounce it. Give me your thoughts on this as we tape, as we tape this uh, tonight in a couple hours. I'm going to do at my local theater, Pogano Cinema in East Strasburg. We're doing a double feature that I expect a sizable crowd for. Halloween 1978, followed by uh, Halloween 2, 1981, play beautifully as one long movie. And I was thinking to myself, because I always do a little tweak of research because I, I introduce, is there any movie that you can think of? Now, I, I know this is impossible to track of how many people overall in the last, uh, since 1978, have actually watched Halloween. You have to think it might be as much as any film released since that year, whether it's in a theater, DVD, Blu-ray, streaming, cable television, network, whatever. Yeah, I can't imagine how many people, how many times have watched Halloween 78 since 1978. Can you, is there another movie that, that I mean, upset? the only thing, the only thing I would think of is probably a couple of Christmas movies. I would say because of the repeatability every year you can yeah. watch it. So I would oh, say yeah. and generational uh, movies, you know, keep playing up on different generations so movie like a like a die hard or vacation you know a uh, christmas vacation those movies are christmas story i could see you can make the argument there maybe even jaws too that skips generations and every summer you'd watch it but uh, your argument is valid i mean it, it's, yeah uh, i mean it, it, it's it's got to be it's got to be in the top 10 i would think Yes, and there's a the phrase that stood the test of time. Uh, that, that you look at a movie like that for sure, um, because my daughter's seen it, and I've seen it, and everybody in between seen it, and that's forty years apart. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I would say that that that's a bold that's not a bold statement to make. I think you're you're right on target there, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, crowd you get uh, for the showing out there for those movies and you are you, now, do you question, take a break you, in between or you just keep running it no no we take a break we'll probably take a 10 minute or 10 minute 10 minute break I 10 will, minute uh, 10 minute break 10 minute break you know uh i'm and here's the the, the, the i like because i like doing this stuff because I, I always like to up the ante i've attached i attached three coming attraction trailers before halloween horror related i attached uh Dawn of the dead from 78 I attach Exorcist 3 and I attach Psycho 2, three of my all time favorite horror movies. I always think, you know, if, if you do something that the audience goes, wow, it's re really cool, you get them to come back for well, not only uh, that, but more they in the might, future. Those are three movies they not know, might not even know exist. So yeah. uh, that'll help them say, oh, that, that looks interesting. They made a sequel to Psycho. I I, I never really knew that. Um, and it's good. Movie. It's a good movie. Very it's a very good. good movie. What very movie good. news you got for us? Well, I, I I got a chance to see something I want to talk about real briefly. Actually, today this afternoon I sat down. We booked it here. I, I watched Dumb Money, uh, oh, which good. is yeah, a story, the very that. interesting mm -hmm. story of of uh, the game stock manipula manipulation. A short squeeze. Paul Dano uh, is the star of the film. He, he play, play, plays a a low level uh, stock trader who pumps up game stock and creates this uh, this this um fascination with with this uh, youtube channel uh of people who regular what they call retail investors who slowly start to buy GameStop and create a short squeeze on wall street uh steve cohen who owns the mets now uh is is a is a character in this film seth rogan uh is is a co-star 
I, this was a good watch. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting story. I would say good, not great. One of the issues I had with it, even though I, I enjoyed watching it, it felt a little bit like a surface movie. Like the script was written where you never had new the characters in nuance form. Right, you never really got right. to know them, know them as people. It was sort of like, okay, let's just film the the event the events that happened in the story, which were interesting enough to make it what I would say a three out of four star uh film um shannon uh shannon woodley uh plays the the wife of um paul dano in the, in this film but the, you know um it, it's sort of the actors are sort of like interchangeable between scenes it almost feels like one of those movies where some of the actors probably did their movie sort of not as maybe as a favor but it was a sort of a non-big studio movie that they felt you know had a little bit of meat to it and they could do a little bit of it acting uh and it's so three out of four stars. Uh, I, I can't say to run out to see it in a movie theater, but if you can do so, but it's a good watch. If you catch this on, uh, on a streaming channel in a few months, now that, now that we know who Steve Cohen is, how did Vincent D'Onofrio do in his portrayal? He did good. It was interesting because I got, you know, we're both Met fans, right? And then in the movie, D'Onofrio is Cohen is wearing, a, wearing a, a Met hat. And every time like they introduce a lot of these characters, when they first introduce them, there was uh, a graphic on the side of the screen that said, their name and their net worth. Like you see character yeah. worth $10 billion. I always found find it interesting in, when you're watching films and when, when you're dealing with people uh, like wall street type people who are worth a, a ton of money and you know, you, you see the way they live. I mean, obviously as a, as a, as a viewer uh, myself who who's done radio and, and some you know, film stuff for 30 years, but I also also own two ice cream poles in this movie shop and run a nonprofit movie theater you know, I guess there's a little bit of envy, like, you know, how do these people get in this uh, position? But um, yeah, it was it was a good watch overall. A lot of luck, Chuck. A lot of a lot of luck. No doubt. Yeah. About that. Uh, listen, a lot of a lot of luck. Uh, the right networking uh, family money doesn't hurt either. But uh, listen, everybody who's uh, ever been born has an interesting story. Uh, it's they just sure a do. matter. Of, is somebody willing to listen to it? Right. That's right. That's right. And we yeah. just kind of listen to yours. Uh, yeah. Ca Carrie Fisher would have had a birthday today. Well, let's yeah, bring I it up because she is Princess yeah. Leia. Uh, she would have been 77, I believe. Um, just uh, died way too Hard young. Hard to believe. 2016. Like, it's been that long. Actually, she would have only been – I did my math wrong. She was born in 56. Yeah. She would have only been 67 years old. Uh, the daughter of Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Uh, my, many – kids guys my age first crush probably you had on a big screen right princess leia when mm. when you're that young uh it, and and somehow i do want to give credit to the movie makers of the second trilogy to find a way to incorporate her in all three of those films sure uh, and make her live on for forever basically with a nice send-off as well but i wanted to bring up that as the only uh uh, birthday. You know why? Uh, let me real quick. Why you bet? Why you bounce? I just want to bounce into something Star Wars because Matt Vaughn, right? Who uh, did the Kingsman and he did Kick Ass, which I think is an iconic movie. It's one mm -hmm. of my favorite films from 2010. He was he was saying in an interview I just read uh, yesterday. He was talking about one his pitch. He did a pitch ten years ago for the Superman franchise at Warner Brothers, right? Uh, which I'll talk about in a second. But he also said that he would love to do. Uh, a Star Wars movie, but he's he thinks it's time to reboot Star Wars. Now, don't go forward; just you got to reboot it. Uh, so go back to the original he, characters. Yes, and just like yes, reboot. Re yes, 
reboot it. I th- listen. I was thinking I about what he 100%. said. I disagree. You are. I disagree. One hundred percent. Okay, tell me why. Because I think he has something. I think. I think what he says has validity. Tell me why. Because these movies, much like Halloween, have stood the test of time. There's no reason yeah. to redo it. The originals oh. are as good as ever. And, yes, agree, agree. But here's and, the thing. Here's and the just problem. watch. But here's and, the problem. You can keep adding on the story. Continue the story. I'd rather see that than reboot yeah. something that we've already seen. We see too much of that crap in the theaters as it mm. is. But here's the problem. The problem is that what? Okay. The problem is that we're when always Disney screaming and Lucas, yelling about originality on this podcast, right? Yes, so I agree. How could you no, be in, in the, defense in, of, but, of a reboot? But, but in this, but in this case, the reason I think what he says has validity is because I think Disney, who bought Lucas, Disney is so greedy and and hoard the. I mean, for lack of a better word, hoard the franchise property out with all this streaming stuff. You know, some good, some bad, and different that they've watered it down to the point. Is it? redeemable on the upside going forward. No, I think it's a dumb idea and I'm sorry you even brought it up. My ears are bleeding. Okay. You're even talking about something like Ooh. this. Let me ask you a question. Okay. I've heard, I've heard the word bomb associated with the upcoming Marvel's movie. Uh, the original captain Marvel well, opened okay. up 153 million in North America. Right. Some are saying it's going to be in the 70 to $88 million range opening uh, again, yeah, that. superhero, superhero fatigue, but is it fair to lump that word with it? And are you hearing the same kinds of things about yes, the new movie? Yes, same, yeah, same, same thing. But here's, here's the thing. This is what's happened. And this is the way the trends could change in just a couple of years. If they were making a, a, an Iron Man movie, a new Iron Man movie and bring back Robert Downey Jr. or Captain America, and they bring back uh, Chris Evans, this wouldn't be an issue. Those movies would do extremely well. Right. right. The the issue is when Captain Marvel came out, it was it was still in that bubble of, oh, it's a Marvel movie. Everybody's going to see it. Right. And it was fresh so, and new. It was something different. Yes. Too so now. So, so now a lot of the energy and excitement and been there, done that uh, has been has been played out. So n- now they're now they're caught in an in between. They're in between the height of the popularity of the MCU, which really peaked. At Avengers Endgame, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's, and, and, and I mean, Captain Marvel did a billion dollars worldwide. But people now deem, uh, do I get off the couch to see just any superhero in the Marvel universe and go to a theater to 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 see this? And the answer is they won't. Some will, some won't. Again, if it's a top tier uh, superhero, but they're but they're not because Iron Man was killed off, Captain America. When it went away, so they they're basically Marvel has been uh, uh, forced to produce the second tier characters. Now Kevin Fee came out in an interview the other day, and of course, what else is he going to say? He said we've only scratched the surface. I think there's been 34 Marvel movies. We've only scratched the surface in our creative storytelling going going forward. And oh there's God. actually talk of there's actually talk of what they would call a, a semi reboot. Now what that means. I don't know. Listen, there's there's a a movie that there uh, that that will be produced in the next couple of years called Avengers Secret Wars, which in the storyline of the comic brings back Tony Stark's Iron Man, Captain of Doom. So, listen, uh, is there a check big enough for Robert Downey Jr. to come yes. back? Yeah, he'll take. He's going to take fifty million. He's going to come. Uh, he'll come back. He'll come back. But again, uh, if you don't have the A-listers, this won't go on forever. 
And of course, Loki just season two just debuted on Disney Plus as well. So it, you watching? I'm not. No, I'm not watching. I didn't watch the first one either. I mean, it got uh, good reviews, but yeah. Again, yeah. I, I just, I just, to me, to me, I, I stand still fast on this opinion. There's a theatrical property, and then there's a television property, and I don't think they're interchangeable. In my, right. for me, this is my opinion. Other people, that's fine. If you if you want to look at uh, what they produce on Disney Plus and equate that as an equal to the theatrical stuff, and you want to mix and match and, and 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 think it's one long story, that that's fine. I my my mind doesn't my mind can't go there. I agree. Um, one other thing, but if you got any other movie news, we'll get to yeah, it. One I other thing uh, I wanted to bring up was uh, the passing of uh, Burt Young, 83 years uh, old. I thought it was interesting. Um, I saw one of the articles described him as the beloved Paulie from Rocky. I, that character is not very beloved. <laughs> he's, he's one of the biggest screw ups in all of movie history. Um, yeah. Really not a very redeemable character. either. Well, certainly. Listen, in Rocky one, he's not a good guy. No, right. he's not. Right. And, and, and he he's blows. not a good guy in Rocky One. He does some horrendous things psychologically yes. to 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 Adrian. And that's that scene in the house when he's screaming at her. Um oh, yeah, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty strong. It got him an Academy Award nomination, that scene in and of itself. Yeah. But, but I mean, Bert Young had a nice career. Canon, you know, he's a major part of the Rocky franchise. You know, I was saying this to somebody on another radio spot the other day. I, I just think like the one we both love, we both adore. I would use that word, the Rocky franchise, right? Rocky Balboa yeah. is one of my all time favorite films, just like the original Rocky. But, you know, when Rocky five opens, which is the one that Stallone basically almost makes believe doesn't exist. When you see in Rocky five, the beginning that, oh, Rocky, who is a multimillionaire and at the top of the world loses everything because Paulie put all his money in a bad investment. Uh, well, he gave the power. He, he gave a power of attorney for all yeah, their yeah, stuff yeah, to the yes, wrong guy. He yeah. loses. He lost all his money literally overnight. And Rocky's resort uh, to basically live on the streets of in an apartment again in Philadelphia. And his wife Adrian has to work at the pet store. I mean, like when he put that on paper. Now I bought it when I went to. The, I just you know because because I still enjoyed that movie Rocky Five. Just I still liked it. Okay, right. I love Rocky Balboa a lot more, and he sort of like corrected some of those stuff to a point. But like it's it's absurd on face value to think that that can happen. Am I wrong? Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, and and he does do a good job in the later Rocky movies, Burt Young. And he's, you know, outside yeah, of the he does outside of the Rocky series, you know, obviously back to school. Pops yeah, back up to school. Head. Back to school would be a good one. Listen, I remember seeing uh, Amityville to the possession yeah, yeah. where he played a really nasty father in that movie. Right. He did. He and was I good at that. He's in the Gambler too with James Caan. He's good. At that. Listen, Mike, 160 acting credits is pretty it's impressive. I it remember, is. I remember Blood Beach. I remember him in that. He was the. I read, I read in his bio. He joined the Marines at fifteen. How did he do that? With a fake birth certificate? He must have. Yeah, he must yeah. have. Uh, it, good career Boxed at a young age. Yep, yep. Uh, he will be missed. All right. Uh, before we get to Martin Scorsese's and other things, what other movie news or this date in history you want to get to real quick? I, I got one. I got a few of them, but I got a birthday because uh, I was looking down the list. Richard Roper uh, was born in nineteen fifty nine. Born this week, took over. On at the movies from when Eugene Siskel passed, I mm -hmm. thought his chemistry with Roger Ebert was really good, and, good. I, and I was a fan. I liked him a lot. I see he's a still and a he good follow on Twitter. 
he's still a good follow on Twitter. He still reviews he, films. He's good. He's yes, very I think he's good. very yeah. good. I think he was a good. I think I think in the age of this bombastic social media, I think his refer his relevance and his voice have been somewhat lost. But he's definitely a good one who knows film uh, extremely well. This week in uh, in movie history, here's a few of them: October 17, 1968, Bullet, which Steve McQueen was released. Obviously, one of the great car chases of uh of of all time i'm i'm assuming you're a big fan yes well anything steve mcqueen and that's his heyday and uh, of course yes that uh that is a great car chase scene goes down in the annals all time that's a great i wasn't alive i obviously caught it on vhs later you on know years, i actually but. i actually love in uh in the in the for the fifth uh fifth dirty harry movie deadpool they yeah, do that they, homage they, scene to the little remote the little control car. car which i think was yeah. awesome yeah i that actually was a good do idea. Uh, this uh, week in movie history, Jailhouse Jailhouse Rock, nineteen fifty-seven, Elvis Presley. I think he did thirty, like I think he did thirty-one movies overall. Most of them interchangeable fluff, but uh, this was, uh, you know, th- this had some memorable stuff. Elvis this Presley, uh, Jailhouse. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, October October eighteenth, nineteen sixty-one. A movie we both like, called West Side Story, was released uh, nationwide. Like. An all-time like. classic. It's one of my top 10 favorite movies Me of all too. time. And, it's and a kudos great movie. to Steven Spielberg. His reboot was uh, as good as I enjoyed that every every frame yes. of that film as well. So, yes, now, that's why, a good why, why it didn't Why people didn't uh, get off the couch and go see that in a the theater? Yeah. Spielberg, I have no idea. Weird I have times. no idea. We'll just chalk it yes. up to weird times, yeah. Last one, TV news of interest. This is a conversation that will last maybe a couple of minutes. October 18, 1988, Roseanne premieres on ABC becomes a pop culture phenomenon huge in the rating she becomes a household name i gotta tell you i do understand mike why this show hit a nerve but i never thought it was funny um i i, I my thoughts exactly i mean some episodes i, I think watched, it worked I, on I, a I different laugh. level i think yeah. I, i'm not disrespecting it by saying that i no, just think no. it worked on a different level i don't think it was a belly laugh sitcom but i get why it worked i do too and casting john goodman probably put that in a you know in a safe place i would say um because he was great on that show i like i like i'm, I'm with you i get its cultural relevant uh, relevance but i never really said oh my gosh i can't wait till roseanne's on um i got one other thing before we get to scorsese i i, I text you uh this afternoon and i because I, I when i was watching dumb money i caught the trailer to wonka uh right. with timothy Chalamet uh, as willy wonka it's an origin story you grant uh, they're trying to sell a movie on uh, as a, a as idea, a, a mini Uber it's, uh, it's a bad idea. It's a bad. I can't help. I listen. I'm not rooting against it, and I and I'm not a fan uh, of Johnny Depp as Wonka. I think that Burton's movie in the first half has merit because outside of Wonka, I think it works. When Depp appears, it's just bizarre. And Tim, Timothy Chalamet is is a good actor, but when I watch the trailer, I say to myself. Uh, where's Gene Wilder? Like this yeah. was Gene Wilder. It, it, there is nowhere to go other than Gene, Gene Wilder. It feels it's from the director of Paddington. It feels like a studio concoction. It feels like it was made just to make some money for a studio release. It doesn't have, in my opinion, any sort of vision that's worth exploring. Um, so the question is why? Uh, uh, well, the answer is money, always money. Yeah. That's always the number one answer. I think they're going to rue the day that they cast Hugh Grant in that kind of role, especially in this woke society that people are out there. This, I, I am shocked that they're doing something like this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, I, I just and not um, that we're huge fans. We're not. We're me and no. Disruptive. We're not wokesters. No, I'm but, not in the least. Not in the least. But yeah. I even I am a like. Why are it's unnecessary? You know. I yeah, I, it's unnecessary. Um, and then look, nobody else would be George Bailey. Nobody else will be Ralph Cramden. Nobody else will be Sheriff Brody. I mean, John nobody McClain, else will be. You Rocky know, Rocky so, Balboa. Rocky Balboa. It, you could Agreed. try. You could throw. I mean, superheroes are different. You know, I get that. But when you let like nobody's gonna be John McClain, too. there's gonna be one John McClain, you know, and Wonka falls in that category, and mainly too because you see this as a kid, and that that is your lifelong memory uh, forever. I mean, okay, George, so Gene Wilder himself, Gene Wilder yeah. himself struggled to break out of the fact that, you know, luckily he had Blazing Saddles and all these other success, but really yeah. at the heart of his career was Willy Wonka, and I don't think he ever got out of that. Yeah, I, I I mean listen, he he was just there's some this there's, there's something that And that's not a bad thing. I mean that's but here's the thing for that role. Here's the thing about uh, Timothy Chalamet. People, you know, he's a good actor, good thespian, but the aura, his aura on screen is not Gene Wilder. No. It's just no, not. Not in the least. Not in yeah. the least. Um, real quick, uh, let's go back to the box office. Pick a year from our youth and we'll tell sure. you what's in theaters. Give me something. Uh seventy five. That's too far back. You got to be in the eighties at least. Okay, we'll go with uh, we'll go with eighty five. Eighty five. So this was out in theaters in October the twenty fifth through the thirty first. Here's what you had to see. Actually, let's do the week before because that's really where we're at. Um, in theaters, it came out this week. The Reanimator. Chuck is really the only brand mm. new movie, uh, which was has a little cult following. Yeah, I mean, listen, movie. I didn't see it in the theater. I do remember the box cover. Uh, at video stores watching watching that one but that that has cult rel- relevance no doubt about it back to the future still in theaters so we're not going to mm. count that but four movies that were out over the last two weeks let's say you missed a weekend you're going to go see a movie here are your four choices chuck and what are you going to go see commando jagged edge remo williams or silver bullet i'm going to see commando because it was a blast really over yeah. jagged edge huh yeah, I'm. St- I, I, I mean, listen. If, if yes, for me, just to enjoy myself. Yeah, I mean, Commando is just like a bonkers uh, Arnold movie. It I is. like it a lot. It is. It's crazy. I mean, it's entertainment bullets, values through the roof. Bullets fly, and he never gets hit. It's it's like one of those movies that started the cliche of the you know so many people dying and not the hero. Yeah. You know, um, what yep. what went wrong with Remo Williams? Uh, here's the thing. Remo Williams has a, uh, which I enjoyed a, by the way. I like that. movie. I did too. It's certain. And I, and I listen, I, I, uh, the late Fred Wood was a unique talent and he was yeah. good in that movie. Uh, it has a huge, it has a very nice cult following, but I mean, let's be honest. If you asked a hundred people off the street, have you seen Remo Williams? You probably get it about 98. It says, I don't know what that is. No, no, but a fun sequence on the re, uh, on the yeah. Statue of Liberty that was getting rebuilt yeah. at the time. That's a good action scene, and it's a good it is it's a good watch. Um, yeah. and since it is Halloween, can we recommend Silver Bullet? Uh, it's been a while. Listen, I, Silver Bullet is a very interesting movie. I, I you know, Gary it's, Busey and Cor, yeah. Corey Haim. I, listen, I always, I always felt Corey Haim was a super likable personality on film. Especially that his like his his likability always elevated. He I would say his likability elevated that movie probably better than it was. It's, it's a very watchable movie. Stephen uh, King, is it, obviously. Is it is it one of the better Stephen King movies? No, but it's far from the worst. I could tell you that. 
Well, and there's not too many good werewolf movies, let's face it. So, I mean, it does fall in that pantheon. So, you know, I would, all, I would, I would argue in terms of, I would argue in terms of werewolf in general, is it really a good subject for movies? I don't know. Yeah, maybe not because they don't really delve into it too much. Yeah, I mean, I don't when know. they do, when they do, they don't normally land. To be honest with you. Yeah. No. All right, let's dive. Speaking of landing, let's dive into Martin Scorsese's and go through sure. some of his highlights from you know it was really fifty years ago. You know, he had Who's Knocking at My Door and Boxcar Bertha, what people uh, would recognize. But really, in nineteen seventy three, it all started with Mean Streets and his first teaming up with Keitel and uh, Robert De Niro. To me, I don't know how, if you don't live in New York City, you enjoy this movie. But if you are from New York City, like you and I are, I mean, this this movie is as gritty as it gets. Yeah, I agree. Uh, listen, I think uh, of his entire bio, although this while this movie is very, very good, I don't think it has the um, the relevance from a cinephile point of view like um, Taxi Driver. Let's put it that way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, he followed that up with a very uh, entertaining movie that got a lot of Academy Awards, too, especially for Ellen Burstyn. She won an Academy Award for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, co-starring Chris Christopherson, um, and I believe spawned the uh, series Alice. Uh, it this did, is what yes. It was based on it, and I believe Flo was in the movie. Oh, no, Diane Lane, the lad, played Flo. Uh, but, uh, right. and, and Vic Tayback was the one that Mel, Mel was in both the movie Mel. and, and a yes. TV show. Um, the TV show, definitely a different tone, but that's a real oh, good totally. flick. And, and it showed, yeah, it uh, uh, Ellen Burson was great back in the day too. You know, it just, oh, sure. uh, no doubt about it. And uh, Chris Christopherson, always likable on the big screen, 1976. Some consider it the classic of the seventies. One of them. Um, taxi driver comes out, Chuck. And I remember watching this probably in my mid twenties. I'm like, all right, I'm going to see what all the hub hubs about. You know, you talking to me, all that stuff, um, Travis Bickle and all that stuff. But what I was amazed about it was how layered all the other characters are in the film with Jodie Foster, Albert Brooks, Sybil Shepard. I mean, it's more than just Robert De Niro and the Mohawk. Um, and that scene at the end with Harvey Keitel and he goes back and gets revenge is one of the more iconic scenes of all time. I think this one might be, if I was going to pick his top five, this would be in his top five. I love Taxi Driver. Oh, it and, would and definitely it's a political, it's, it, a po- it's a political thriller more than, yes, you I know, mean, anything like, else. Sybil so, Shepard's really good. And, you know, what's really... Here's the thing about Taxi Driver. This is a movie that captured the rawness of the 70s, especially 70s filmmaking. You're never going to see a movie like this in a theater ever again. You just not because it no. can never capture that raw feel of the 1970s. It's a place and a time. De Niro was awesome. Um, I think all the characters in this movie were really good. And his his descent into madness is extremely yeah. well done because when you're watching the movie, you, 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 you want to like Travis Bickle, right? It's not like you, it's not like the movie opens and you say, oh, this guy's a lunatic. It's no, like you, right. you slowly see the unraveling. And there's a scene in this movie that makes a viewer to me, uh, extremely uncomfortable. It's when he, when he goes on the date with Sybil Shepherd, who's way mm-hmm. out of his league, but she agrees to go out with him. Right. And he takes her to a porno theater. Yeah. Right. And it makes you so it makes you so uncomfortable that he would do that. But then you start to realize his inner psychology is not the norm. Uh, but it's a great movie. It's great storytelling. Just like you said, all the supporting characters are flush, fleshed out and interesting, very intriguing. It is a classic film for well, the 70s. It lost Best Picture to Rocky. But what, it, you know, so many great movies 
in the yeah. 1970s. But Taxi Driver would be at the pinnacle for me of, of Martin Scorsese, yeah, no doubt. no doubt about it. And think about the character in that film and what he's going through and what and the descent he does. And maybe equate that with what's happened to our country over the last five years. What and point, what, yeah. The, the political spiral that not just one taxi driver went into, but the whole nation has fallen into that political spiral. But it 19- also goes to show you, it takes a character, right? And, you know, the, the, invi- if you're, if you're, if uh, even the most strong in mind minded, if you're involved in an environment that uh, is dark and grimy for a long period of time, yeah, what it does to the human psyche and, and he's yep. his descent in the man is, is a very real. Now, he'd come back with uh, Liza Minnelli and do New York, New York with Scorsese in 77. But really, uh, money might feel I know we'll get to Goodfellas and and uh, and the departed later on. But for a lot of people, they would say Raging Bull 1980 was the greatest Scorsese's film of all time. Um, the depiction of the uh, Jake LaMotta at. Uh, Chuck, uh, you not know, for the faint of heart, though. Not no. for the faint of heart. Listen, it's a talk about raw. You're talking yeah. a nasty, uh, you know, nasty, gritty, vulgar dialogue. Uh, it's a fascinating really movie. Too. Yeah, oh, it's it's really good. Yeah, Kathy Moriarty is really good in that movie. I mean, it's a very, very good, good movie. And again, it's a period. It's a type of filmmaking that you're not, you're never going to see filmmaking like that again. No, but think about it too. A lot of the attention was uh, towards the weight gain, but Robert De Niro, you know, he played yeah. thin and then also get, gained all that Incredible. weight for the film. So Incredible. there was a lot of hype around it. Um, and then you know, you look back at the at the Academy Awards. You know, Raging Bull lost to uh, to ordinary people. Kind of sketch, kind of a little um, Shakespeare and lovish, if you think about it, because also nominated yeah, that year. Yeah, to a point. Was- but here, but you know, again. I think the Academy as a whole, you know, just trying to reward something that plays a little, a little bit more mainstream, well, accessible. Uh, much that's, like Spielberg, that's why you get though, that's why you get those results. Much like Spielberg, though, uh, he doesn't win an Academy Award for uh, you know uh, for a long time, and Scorsese no loses sense. to Robert yeah. Redford for Ordinary People. There, I mean, I love Robert Redford. Don't get me wrong, but. Head scratch. Let's just call it a head scratcher because yeah, it, sure. It, it it might be one of the ten best movies of night of the eighties. Um, King of Comedy, Chuck, a uh, a uh, uh, kind of a bipolar movie here too. The Jerry Lewis, Robert De Niro, once again, nineteen eighty two. I find this very scathing, very good movie. Um, Me too. Depiction except, of the except times. here's the thing: it didn't make a lot of money. It didn't nope. make a lot of money. It was not uh, a main. Um, it was. It didn't bring in a mainstream crowd. Uh, a lot. A lot of its relevance became after the fact. In the in the secondary viewing of home home video, a lot of people started to gain awareness of, of this film, and you know word of mouth spread that you know it was a very good movie. Jerry Lewis playing uh, against type something different. I think in the annals of, of film history, I think that in itself is very unique and fascinating. Sandra Bullock, uh, Bernhard, Bernhard, uh, yeah. To say to say she was an, a unique talent would be an understatement. I think the uh, difference between this film and, this and 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 it's similar to Raging Bull, just in, t- in subject matter. The difference is you're talking about you see the descent of a character out of the gate in in King of Comedy. Um, Robert De Niro's character is Bonkos to begin with, so yeah, he, it's hard. It's hard for any sympathy. You don't. There's nobody to root for in this film, you know. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think that that. But I did enjoy it, and it has a lot to say about no, media. I like it. 
uh, at the yeah. time. Um, After Hours, which gets a lot of critical acclaim. Griffin Dunn stars, I think it's a one-night-only kind of movie, which mm-hmm. also co-stars um, uh, uh, Tommy Chong, uh, Terry Garr. Um, but it's really Griffin Dunn's movie. Um, yeah, he's good in it. He's good in it. Not very memorable, to say the least, and wasn't. Uh, I know it gets a lot of critical acclaim after the fact. It, listen, a lot. It has a lot of people who love that film. I yeah. I like it. I thought it was. I thought it was a good watch. But you know, basically, the, the movies you're rattling off, it shows he had, he was more diverse than I realized. Looking at his bio, like because yeah. you know you think of Scorsese, you think you think of a handful of movies and the fact that he, he did great gangster films, right? Well, just Goodfellas think about being, this now too. You think yeah. about gangster films, right? His next yeah. four movies, and we'll go well, next five movies. We'll go into them in, in detail here. The Color yeah. of Money, The Last Temptation yeah. of Christ, Goodfellas, yeah. Cape Fear, and The Age of Innocence. He does those five movies in seven mm-hmm. years, and wow. all all great merit on on each and on its own. The Age of Innocence, I can probably live without, but totally different subject matters up and down the board. We'll start with uh, the the Hustler Two, The Color of Money. We talked about this in the past. If this movie had an ending, I probably would mm-hmm. give it four stars. But to me, it just falls short. And it's, it's more of a uh, visually stunning movie. Great performance by Paul Newman. I can't go more yeah, than yeah. that. But here's what's interesting. I like this film. I totally agree because we've talked about bantered about this many times on this show. The ending of that movie is almost like the last reel fell out, right? Yeah. It's like it's like this can't this cannot be the resolution of the two and a half hours that I just watched. Having said that, I thought it was fascinating and iconic to see Paul Newman back as Eddie Felson from the Hustler decades later. The fact that Scorsese had an interest in doing this, I thought Tom Cruise was awesome in this movie. And Mary Elizabeth Mastantonio, who we both like a lot, who is Ed Harris's wife in the abyss, also in the perfect storm. I thought she was, I thought she was equally as great. I thought she was great in this movie. And the reason I think she was great is because she went mono mono and actually upstage cruise to a point in, in this film, character wise, not acting wise, character wise. But, uh, this is a really, to me, this is, Again, the type of filmmaking that we don't see anymore. I like this movie a lot, except I do agree it has an ending that's perplexing. And the funny thing is, Mike, as I stated on the show, been watching a lot of the Siskel and Ebert of review yeah. shows from the 80s and 90s. And I caught an episode where they reviewed this. Actually, I was much to my surprise because they love Scorsese and Scorsese actually did shows at the movies yeah. with with Ebert, right? That they both gave this movie thumbs down. They, they said it had too many issues down. to give a yeah. thumb. They said it had yeah. too many issues to give a thumb, which I found surprising because if you made the color of money now, this would be like, wow, this is really so much different than the garbage yeah. you're producing now. You'd have to give it a thumbs up. I, well, I like you made it the, in, Another interesting conversation. If you made The Last Temptation of Christ now, he might not ever yeah. make another film again. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, probably. It, it, he I mean, was, it, it, he, and, and the funny thing is, is he says he has another Jesus movie in the pipeline. Half, half feature half documentary, whatever that means. Oh boy. And I tell you what, I mean, we've talked about it over and over again. I mean, you could take God, the Godfather trilogy and say it's the greatest gangster movie of all time, but I, I would argue Goodfellas, boy, it is a very, very, it might be one B. Um, I mean, it is, it is just a phenomenal I think different film. Type, I think the type, I think the Godfather one and two and Goodfellas are equally iconic and great. They're just different. Uh, it's a different type of mobster. I think F- Coppola's style with the Godfather movies was more uh, re- reverence of this lifestyle to a point. 
uh, and the scope was bigger. Goodfellas is basically the 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 low level mobster, that lifestyle uh, th- through the eyes of of uh, the Ray the Ray the Ray Liotta character. And let's be honest, like Ray Liotta, uh, this was his claim to fame. A lot of people, really, you know, they didn't know a lot about Ray Liotta when he took on the role of Henry Hill. He's every bit as good as everybody else in this in this movie, which is saying immense because Joe Pesci was. You talk about scary people in a movie. They don't come more scary than Joe Pesci uh, in Goodfellas and De Niro, who bordered on, uh, you know, likable one minute and dangerous, the next, the next, especially in that yeah. scene with Lorraine Bracco at the end, yeah. Yeah. when you think he's going to off yeah. her. But what um, what what it like? I remember seeing Goodfellas with my brother at the Kingsway in Brooklyn opening day. We went. Uh, I was like, okay, let's go see this movie, Goodfellas. Like I was on the edge of my seat from beginning to end because, like, there's a saying where if you get sucked into a movie, like I was literally pulled through the movie screen. Yep. That's how great the storytelling was. Yep. Like, it's, and, 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 and it's again, like Shawshank Redemption and the Godfather and, and a handful of these movies, when it plays on TV, you change your channel. Yep. Oh, good for you're hooked. You're yep. like, you're hooked. And, and that's a you power know, say what very want, few movies have. And this has yep. it. And say what you want about the formula of those, of a thriller like Cape fear is. And we've seen t- in lesser hands that would just be an average thriller, but with De Niro as Max Cady, one of the scarier screen characters. It was scary. Listen, that movie, that's a good word. I seen this movie. When I seen this movie in the theater, I was, I was uncomfortable. Like I, right. I was completely involved. I was in, this is a very, very good movie, but I was uncomfortable because De yeah. Niro is a scary, scary dude in this movie. Oh my gosh. And a good, and a good couples, uh, the Nick Nolte and, and the scene with, uh, uh, when he's seducing the daughter. Julia Lewis. Too. Yeah. Julia yeah, it's Lewis. Creepy, scary. Yeah. And yeah, I would I say, look, it gets a lot of slack because it's basically Goodfellas too. But Casino is a very if Casino came out first, people mm. would be talking about Casino and high praise as much as Goodfellas. Casino's a here's very, my, very here, good okay. Movie. Here's my synopsis of, of Casino: uh, three quarters great. The problem, if there is too a much problem, Sharon Stone, too much yes, Sharon Stone, too much Sharon Stone. I don't. To me, uh, I would, I would nothing against Sharon Stone because she was good. Yeah. But, uh, I would exercise probably close to half her role in that film because it's it sort of lopsides the rest of it, right? Uh, but De Niro, but Pesci's awesome. De Niro, who's a lot more likable, obviously in this movie, yeah, really yeah. good. Don Rickles in the supporting, you know, er, everybody in this movie is it's a it's again it's fun. This watch. movie grabs grabs and hooks you. It's a really interesting story. Listen, there there's there may be no greater director that can tell a story beginning to end to pull a viewer in. Uh, then Scorsese and this this movie is a terrific film, except like you state and we've talked about this many times. It's just too there's too much Sharon Stone in this movie. Some might consider this a little bit of a lull in his career, too, because he, he goes into Cundon and bringing out the dead, the Nicolas Cage uh, ambulance driver movie. It's really wacky, not a very good movie. But in 2000, you could argue it's an interesting misfire. It is. 2002, he gets back on the board with his first teaming with Leonardo DiCaprio. People love gangs of new york and daniel day lewis's performance is above and beyond i mean he guy's such a great actor it's ridiculous they're gonna make a tv series out of this uh show movie as well um gangs of new york though i don't to me when i look back at scorsese's yes it's a great movie but i don't think of it it doesn't pop in my head right away here's my issue with this movie i think daniel day lewis is the butcher uh he's oh my god fabulous it's that stuff's fascinating the the but Daniel Day Lewis overshadows DiCaprio so much in this movie. He does. Um, he overshadows everything like, else. He, 
it feels lopsided. It feels lopsided. Like it's a good watch with some great stuff, but uh, as a it, the the sum of its parts don't equal a whole really great movie. It's good. It's, it's good Cameron but flawed. Diaz is in this. Film. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the Aviator's a, a decent flick too. He teams up with DiCaprio again. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's a little bulky for me. Probably these, mm-hmm. this is the problem Scorsese gets into, especially in the later. I liked years it. Here. I just it's not it's not it's not one of his best though. It's just too long. I mean, it's just yeah, it, to go down that uh, Howard Hughes. I mean, it's an interesting character. Don't get me wrong. That is but, an interesting character. No doubt about it. Too Way bloated. But then his next classic in 2006, Chuck, all the way down to the shocking ending and the performances in The Departed and Jack Nicholson, which will end up being probably his last great film. Um, the Departed is so good. He won an Academy Award, Best Picture, Best Director, all across the board. It, it, it really was a nice uh, tip of the cap to one of our great filmmakers, and it's a fantastic gangster cop movie. Oh, I agree. It's a terrific script. Uh, it's extremely well acted. I, I mean, I'd argue, I think you stated before, too, Mark Wahlberg may be his best performance. There's one thing about Scorsese. He you get the the, the, be- the best of the best, best of the best performance at a really good actors. You know, Wahlberg's done uh, very polarizing uh, acting jobs to me. If he's miscast, he's not good. If he's cast correct, like in this movie, he's excellent. Uh, Alec Baldwin was yeah. really good. That the, the, the twi- really the, good too. The yeah. the, the twist. She's really good in this movie. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for her. And and the the twist, uh, shocking death scene is it's like, whoa! It, did that it, just happen? Because you don't yeah. listen. Other than to live and die in L.A., William yes, Friedkin's movie that did some, that, something yeah. similar. You yeah. don't see this in because I, because the studios and Scorsese talked about this how. The, the studio uh, that released, I think it was, I don't know if it was Warner Brothers, wanted him to do a trilogy uh, of The Departed, and they didn't want that twist. And, yeah. um, and, and you know, he said, no, this is the movie I'm doing, and that's what I'm doing. Um, you don't see that a lot, because the studios will always interfere. And, you know, 2010 and 11, he does Shutter Island, basically a horror movie. Not a fan. A cap- I'm not no, a It's fan. okay. Nothing great. And then he does yeah. Hugo, which is really good, a, a kid's yeah. movie, the very yeah. next year. That's when he, but that's when he fell in love with 3D and he said every movie should be released in three. Yeah. He said some things that, like that, like, oh, no, Martin, no, not every, not every movie should be in 3D. And I'm sorry when Leonardo DiCaprio, DiCaprio punches Margot Robbie in The Wolf of Wall Street. It lost me. I hated this movie. I hated everything mm. about it. I hated the fact that it made – here's everything possibly – pathetic about a male in this you know in our world and we're just going to throw yeah. it up on screen and i got to watch it for two and a half hours i did not like this the only interesting part was when he was drugged up trying to get out of his car i thought that was a very funny interesting scene i hated the character i hated everything around it and again when he punches margot robbie i'm like this is so unnecessary i almost wanted to leave the theater interesting here's the thing i de- the thing about this movie is i certainly people did love like this it. movie don't and get me wrong people no, love this I, they movie. do and, and it, it at the end of the day, I, your criticism has validity. But here's the thing: the movie is about uh, depravity, right? It is. It uh, is. I mean, it is. I mean, that's really what it, this movie is about: the worst instincts in human beings, right? And it's about a penny stock firm, and it's about immorality and and conning people. Uh, it it has it has um it has good for me. It just has interesting characters. Yeah, the lead is not not a uh, a moral human being uh and like a lot of Scorsese movies you know it's not it's, it's this is not for the faint of heart it's not a pg movie it's a hard r it uh, deals with some rough 
subject matter, but it, it, it is, it's a very interesting watch. I found it compelling. Um, I like this. I like the story. I, I think, uh, the, the, the shell game or the penny stock con game with the real life, uh, character that DiCaprio played, I, I found very, very interesting. And a character doesn't always have to be likable or moral no, to be compelling. No. And, and it just, to me, this movie, for me, it works well. And it really like introduced it us to her, too. It was really the first time she was on screen. She's really good in yes. this film and, and, and beyond. And then, you know, she he does the uh, the silence movie with Andrew Garfield and uh, Adam uh, Adam Driver, which nobody saw and nobody cares about. Right. But the, the last but not least is The Irishman, Chuck, which came out right around COVID. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, it's like a four-hour movie, so he releases it all on Netflix. I personally it's played in it. some theater. It played in theaters. It played in I didn't some see theaters. It in the yep. theater. it got some uh, I can't imagine watching it in the theaters for four hours. But uh, I mean, listen, I, I like this, this movie. I, I didn't love it. Okay, here's my here's one of my issues with this movie. Um, I, I Al Pacino to me, I just I didn't find that I didn't find him very interesting, interesting. in this film. I thought it was some of his best work in a while. I thought he was yeah. really good as okay. Alpha. I mean, yeah. What you I mean? What do you think of the aging stuff in that too? All that digital stuff was done pretty well. Um, but for the most part, it, it, for the most, I, 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 listen, there's a lot I liked about it. Um, but he does the thing about it is this is the 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 conundrum of Scorsese's thinking now is. He shot a movie I think he knew was going to play on Netflix. He knew yeah. that, right? So, so I think he shot it. He edited, <laughs> he edited the story almost like a miniseries. Yeah. So the question is, is it really a feature film or is it a telepic? Meaning, is it sort of a, 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 a movie that requires yeah, yeah. a two-night viewing, not I a one-night sitting? Yeah. I think the yeah. way we watch stuff on Netflix now is one-hour segments. I think it would work in, yeah, I guess in, in a so. four four-part series, but – uh, the biggest problem I've had with him in his later years is just go in the editing room and chop some stuff down and get it to two yeah. and a half hours. It's all you yeah, need to I do. Mean, we'll, we'll, when we watch, when we, when we get a chance to watch uh, his latest film, you pick two Scorsese movies, which you think a must see viewing. I got it. I mean, Goodfellas obviously is one it's close Me because too. I would say the departed or taxi driver. I mean, I would go with taxi driver. Departed yeah. is very good. But I, and, I would just say I'll go with Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. Then I'll then I'll go with The Departed. I think Kate, I think Cape Fear is a very compelling movie. And I think Raging Bull would probably be. I mean, if yes, gonna, of course, must see. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah. All right, Chuck uh, Martin Scorsese's, and he's got more in the tank. He's going to do a, a, a another one with uh, with uh, I think he's doing a Teddy Roosevelt film with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. So he's not going to stop, and we're not going to go stop no. seeing his movies. I agree. That's a good thing. All right, Chuck, we'll do it all over again next week, my friend. Uh, Always a pleasure to the audience. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archive show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode.